0: Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. Well, I'm so looking forward to this conversation. I will get off air um, and sort of back channel. People will ask me questions about either folks that I've interviewed or those that they would like for me to interview and or professions and roles that they would like me to explore and kind of check in. And probably the number one request that I've been getting recently has been around principals and wondering sort of how they're doing, um, what's challenging them currently uh, in this school year and really coming off of an unprecedented uh, two years in the world. And so I want to start that conversation today with Danny Soderholm. He's the high school uh, principal at Culpeper uh, High School in Culpeper County, Virginia. Uh, Danny, how are you doing today?
1: Doing great. Glad to join
0: you, Ron. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about your journey. How long have you been in the principalship? And um, sort of tell me about the arc of the, of the time in that seat, if you will, uh, from where you thought you were in the beginning, and sort of where you are now in the role that you play.
1: Sure. So uh, this is year number eleven as a high school principal, and so uh, I started for five years in a in a tiny little high school of less than five hundred students in Windsor, Virginia, at Windsor High School, and did that for five years and. Loved it. It was fantastic, um, and I, I learned a lot about it. It was a, it was a little bit of a different time where we were excited to get one-to-one uh, technology, and uh, exploring things of that nature because that was the time, you know. Um, and so, and now, you know, this is year number six at Culpeper County High School, and the challenges overwhelmingly in my time here, probably the number one challenge of course has been COVID and, it, and its impact on student learning. And, and, and every student's a little bit different based on their home life.
0: Tell me about, and this is my perspective. Tell me about going from uh, what you thought being a principal meant to becoming a bit of a communications officer.
1: Absolutely. I think that's, I think that's important to uh, be the, the go between a lot of times Uh but that's the fun part of being a principal is and I get to it. I get to have uh, great relationships with business partners in the community, with parents, with students, with teachers, uh, with medical with mental health professionals, um, with law enforcement. And so it's so diverse of a job where one day I'm an instructional leader, the next day we're talking about uh, construction projects. and then, you know, this morning I had a great conversation about mental health and how we uh, work with the providers in the emergency room, to law enforcement, to our counselors, to our family spe- uh, resource specialists, and so it's so diverse. Um, but again, it's about relationships, and that's fun because you know people are—I love people—and so why wouldn't you want to have a job where you get to work with people?
0: <laughs> that you do in spades, right? Uh, right? I've had a few principals talk to me about. You know, we talk about sort of the. Um, You know, the one the one room schoolhouse. Right. And that challenge of teachers feeling connected. But I've heard that applied to your position. Right. That principals, because of all sort of the, the turmoil that's been swirling in the last couple of years and the challenges that we couldn't foresee, that it has become a bit isolating to some degree and that principals have been sort of trying to reach out to those even in other districts to build community, to sort of have a place to bounce ideas off of uh, one another? Have you found that? How have you maintained and or built your community uh, within the profession?
1: So being a principal can be lonely because you're the only one, right? Um, I've been lucky that I've had some colleagues within my, uh, within my county that I can call and bounce ideas off of and say, hey, what are you doing? Um, One of the things that I've used for network, or a couple of things is, you know, I go to the different professional developments that are specifically for principals. Um, like I got to be a part of uh School Retool, which was a partnership between Stanford's Design School and William and Mary. And it was great to to make connections there. And we exchanged cell numbers and emails and you know, Facebook and LinkedIn and all of those things. And so we stay connected in that way. And it's nice to call each other and say, hey, how, how are you doing this? And I have people that are now you know, three and four hours away, but we connected through that and we continue to do it. And high school sports is a great thing because I'm going to be on the sideline or in the stands for you know a football game, a basketball game, a volleyball game. And so I always make it a, a point to go find the other principal. And we stand on the sideline together and we talk about everything but sports. And it's, <laughs> it's, sure. a, it's a great way to network and find a support system which otherwise You'd be working in a silo, and we just can't do this job alone.
0: So, one thing I've really appreciated about principles is the concept of lifelong learning. That you're—I mean, it's sort of by default—you're in an institution of learning, and so you can't help but continue to push yourself. Is there a silver lining in all that's gone on? In when you when you think about your own development, both as a person as and as a professional, in the ways in which you're sort you're able to deploy your leadership and or your collaborative skills amongst your colleagues, that maybe. You needed a little push, right? You know, you sort of—it's easy to get stagnant or sort of get into a routine, especially in education where we we've, we've got formulas and calendars and terms and these sorts of things. So, talk about that where you think that you've grown a little bit, and/or that maybe you were you were nudged um, by by circumstances that uh, that you didn't know were there previously.
1: I, I think the thing that really hit home with me is the importance of teachers. I've always believed in that. Obviously, it's the profession I chose. But, um, and that there's not just one way to reach somebody. Some of our students have, we have a a minority of our students that really blossomed during the pandemic and having, because they're anxious in a school setting when they have 25 peers in the room with them, and then the teacher who's an authority figure, uh, even if they're the most friendly, outgoing, approachable teacher still by by role, they have that authority. And so te- students are hesitant to raise their hand and ask a question. Well, now, all of a sudden, during the pandemic, we found well, we can reach that student by having this channel over here where they can message their teachers their questions. right? We figured that out when we were when we were doing uh, you know asynchronous distance learning, you know when we had to close our schools. And so, we've built little concepts like that in here the other thing is with how we do our lesson planning and how and how explicit we are because before a 15 year old had to understand what the objective the learning objective for the day was and how they were going to get to what they were supposed to learn where before our lesson plans were written for somebody who probably had a masters degree and now it's for a 15 year old who's a latchkey kid who's at home. And so by having that spelled out and the simplicity of it, it helps us to better reach our students and become better educators. So I've uh, I've really benefited from that and then helping teachers to find those resources and connect with one another. So not everybody's having to reinvent that wheel every day.
0: Let's do a little bit of a round robin and some of the topics that are on, I think, the front of a lot of people's minds. And I don't know if they have the data or the information to sort of make an informed decision or have an opinion, uh, which would be you know, teacher shortage. So we keep hearing about teacher shortage. And I'm not sure if it's in pockets and or how we are mitigating that, because there are two sides to that, right? Sort of there's the here and now of we've had shortages, maybe in our building or our district. And the other side of that is, okay, well, if we have those, how do we how do we build a system and a pipeline, a town pipeline that is attractive to an early career teacher that sees our schools and our districts as appealing?
1: So it's real. I, I, anybody who tells you it's regional or local, I don't think they're looking at the bigger picture. Um, we've known we were going to have I mean you talk about supply chain issues. well, that's a worker issue. Uh, oh, well, I can't find you know a, you know a company to come work on my house or you know whatever it is. There's a shortage of workers. We've known that's coming. It was called the baby boom, and they're retiring, right? We knew that was coming. We talked about it with Social Security and all this. What happens when they all retire? Well, this is another part of it. And so it's very real in education, just like it is in other fields. Um, And the way we're mitigating that here is we do have larger class sizes. We're not able to offer the breadth of coursework that we used to be able to offer. You know, it can't, you know, a lot of the uh, kind of boutique classes that we had, you know, one here, one there, we need those teachers to teach more core and mainstream classes now. And so we have fewer boutique classes, uh, larger class sizes, and we're finding more creative ways to licensure where we're, we're taking someone who is a, a middle school teacher and we're making them a high school teacher. Hey, you've got a license in middle school uh, math. You know, we're going to bring you over here and we're going to work with you and we're going to build you into a high school math teacher. And, or, you know, I've taken someone who had an accounting degree and made them a math teacher. Uh, someone that, you know, another teacher that I brought in, I've done this probably four or five times in the last three years where I brought in someone who wasn't quite ready to be the teacher, but they came in as a paraprofessional, so like a classroom aide. And they started in that role. And I said, I want to talk to you. I said, I, I think you've got that it factor. I really think that you'd be a great teacher. I understand you're, you're nervous about it. You're not ready. Why don't you come in our school, understand our culture, be in the classroom. It's a little less pressure in that role. And then we can work together on how to lesson plan, put some instructional tools in the toolbox and make you a teacher. And we've had a lot of success with that.
0: So the reality is you have to be incredibly creative. Yes. And, and make our own teachers. And make your own teachers. So, how do we, how do we avoid burnout? Because I understand that you're having to sort of stop this gap, right? And say, well, we may not be able to offer as many boutique, as you put it, uh, courses. That then can, I would imagine, add some strain to your core staff, especially if you have larger class sizes. So, in the same breath, do you have to also be thinking about sort of their health and well being and fun? And I don't even know what the answer is. Is it just acknowledging that challenge with your staff so that they know that you understand what they're going through? How do you handle that?
1: That's a, that's an ongoing balancing act. Um, because you're right, there is that added pressure, um, and that comes with the job already. And so I think one is acknowledging it Two is listening to them, but also I don't think you disrespect them and, and hold back the feedback and give them nothing but but, uh, sunshine and rainbows because they know that's disingenuous. Um, So still helping them with growth and, hey, guys, this is the job. You know, bad news doesn't get better with time. So let's be honest and say, this is what we need to get done. But at the same time, support them and then communicate. One of the ways that I've found has been effective with our school is when teachers have great ideas. Don't find a reason why it wouldn't work. Find a reason why it will work and then support them. And then when they see their ideas coming to fruition, it's inspiring. And it makes you want to do it again. Wow, I'm listened to. I'm a part of this. I'm part of the solution. So they're going to keep being part of the solution because no matter how creative I am, I'm not going to be as creative as you know 100 plus teachers and staff members who have all their ideas. And let's be honest, teachers are amazing. So they got great ideas.
0: Tell me about the value of the composition of of the staff. So I would think from 10,000 feet, it might really benefit to have a a nice mix of veteran teachers, sort of mid-career, early career teachers, so that each sort of level can lean on one another back and sort of back and forth to support, to create sort of this idea machine to get through some of these challenges to where we can hopefully get to a better spot where hopefully education is and public education is valued where it should be. Um, And the public education can deliver the things that we know it can deliver. Right.
1: Sure. Yeah. Energy experience, right. Somewhere there's a matrix here, right. Right. Youth. Right. So it's, it's great to have that 25 year old who's super excited and knows what the coolest shoes are and the great music (laughs) that the kids love. And there's an easy automatic connection. Um, But you also have those veterans that, that have a very full toolbox, right? And, and they know the curriculum so well and they know how to deliver it and what works and they have multiple ways to skin that cat. So to reach multiple you know types of students and types of learners. And so that blend is fantastic. I, I always like to say, if, if I'm creating a baseball team and I've got nine first basemen, my shortstop is terrible. So uh, the the more diverse my team is in their strengths, the stronger we are as a staff. And the the more likely it is that we'll be able to reach and connect to our students uh, where they are and also be able to reach their homes as well.
0: There's a reality, Danny, across the country that politics has really sort of um, taken a seat inside the schools um, of our nation. And I'm wondering how you both insulate the learning so that it can uh, be free of that white noise, but also inform staff, inform parents on why maybe an election is important to the operation of a school and a district, because it does feel very different now. You know, um, we still have, I think, in in a a dangerous level of apathy uh, in a lot of ways to understand that we can play a role in supporting our local schools through uh, being uh, in our civic duties. Um, But I'm also hearing from teachers and staff that, it becomes really challenging because now you, you sort of don't know where the information is coming from and what role you should or could play to support sort of a healthy conversation. How have you handled that and traversed that with your staff?
1: So I think local politics and local elections are probably the most impactful. And that's something that, uh, that I've learned specifically as an educator, because, you know, it's really easy to get excited about the national elections um, because that's what's on TV. So really, the impact you know on your on your taxes, on which you know which uh, goes to your budget and funding, and then your day to day policies and procedures in the schools, which these are all things that affect people in their day to day life. That's on the local level, and so we talk about those elections. We're very lucky here that we're a smaller uh, area. We probably have somewhere around sixty thousand ish uh, folks in our county. Two high schools that are average size for the state of Virginia. Um, And we get to interact with our board of supervisors, members, our school board members regularly. They come and visit our schools. Um, We have their cell phones, they have ours. Um, (laughs)
0: Better or for worse, right?
1: (laughs) Right, right. But uh, here's the thing is, uh, you know, I think the more we can communicate, um, the better. And I would much rather, like you said, you know, knowing that effect and, you know, what the players are, who the players are and, you know, what those levers are in affecting things. I'd rather know, even if it's something that I go, okay, well, that's going to that's going to cause a change or this might cause conflict. Well, I'd rather know about it than have a sneak attack from, you know, a nebulous force somewhere out there. Instead, I've got a relationship with these folks. And again, it's not always, you know, smooth. However, it's a relationship. And so we work through that and we talk about it. And what's great, again, it's a small community. So I might find out something from, you know, this person at Little League, right? Or I might find out from this person who's a teacher in my class, or I might hear it at church or, you know, at Walmart. And so when we have those type of communications, and then we, I can go back to those sources and go, hey. I heard from so and so that you were thinking about this. What do you think? And what's really good is I have an amazing relationship with my superintendent, who again has that same belief of let's communicate, let's communicate. And we don't we don't shut off at five p.m. or when the buses roll out or whenever. Um, he and I both understand that this is a twenty four seven job, and there's a there's a level of commitment to it. And the more we communicate, the smoother it is for our teachers, our parents and our students.
0: Let's speak about about the upcoming generation. Do you think we're doing um, even an adequate job of teaching civics in our schools, especially at the high school level? Um, I'm I'm very fortunate to travel uh, to different countries and I'm amazed at how, Even the young people that I talk to in other countries, how much more they know about our politics and sort of how our government is constructed than the very students that are here within our boundaries. And I just wonder where high school fits in, you know, setting them up as citizens to understand the mechanisms of this, because I think in the long run, that does that helps your job. That helps the superintendent. It just helps everybody. But I feel like there's a lack of civics in the way in which we're either teaching it or the level of importance that we're putting towards that topic in that subject area.
1: Sure. So adequate, such a tricky question, right? Because, uh, it really depends on who you're asking what adequate means. I would love to go, you know, seven hours a day talking about nothing but civics, but the real reality is, is I need an adequate amount of time on reading and writing. I need an adequate amount of time on mathematics. I need an adequate amount of time on personal finance, on fine arts, on career and technical education. And so, we do. There is a finite amount of time that we we have with our students every day, and so I don't know that I don't know that we're ever going to reach the horizon, right? We can keep walking towards it. And we're, there's always further to go, right? And so um, to answer that question, no, it's not, of course it's not adequate, right? Because we can always be better every day. But I think what we do, um, some neat things that we're doing here. You know, front page of one of our local newspapers today was how we teach nine eleven, and how that's changed our reaction, of, uh, you know, and how it's changed our policies and our day to day lives, you know, in the United States. And specifically mentioning, hey, we live, we're, you know, we're within ninety miles of DC. A lot of our families work within the Beltway, and so how's that affected our lives? And so. So, why is it on the front page? Because part of it is also communicating to our to our stakeholders in the community and saying, "Hey, we do teach about these things." right? And this gives them the opportunity to continue that conversation at home as well. And you know when again, little League church, et cetera, hey, I saw your history teacher uh, on the front page of the paper. what did you guys talk about? Tell me about that. And so we can have an extension of learning beyond that finite time that we have in the classroom. But we also bring in people like, we bring in uh, those resources like SAFE, who works with domestic violence victims. And so we bring them in and we talk about, hey, what's their funding source, right? This is an extension of, you know, taxpayer dollars and things like that. So we bring those in and then our students know about that. And we, you know, we talk about it in in the context, right? We bring in judges, we bring in attorneys, Commonwealth attorneys, you know, or as a lot of people call them district attorneys, but in Virginia, it's a Commonwealth attorney. We bring them in here and they talk to our students and we have a law day where our students have the opportunity to meet with them. We do that every year. And so, um, you know, this week is, you know, Constitution Day is, is September 16th. So every day this week, We've started with a little mini lesson on our morning announcements about the Constitution. And so those little things where we can go, okay, we well, only have this much time in social studies class, but we can sneak in some other things, you know, in your child development class, in, you know, the morning announcements, or into the community where we're going to grow a little bit more your knowledge of civics and how this can affect your day-to-day life.
0: So I can tell from our conversation that you really enjoy what you do. And it's nice to see someone who enjoys uh, the job that they have. And not everybody has that, I think, that opportunity. Tell me, Danny, when when were you hooked? It's like someone who gets into music and there's a song, there's some some chord that they hear that they just know they can't turn away from music as a profession. What was it in education? Not just that you were a student, like we were we're all students, but that You said inside, all right, I can make a difference and it's not going to be just a job. Like this is a, this is a life choice for me. Um,
1: I had the opportunity to, uh, to coach little league wrestling. And, uh, when I was in college and I I still thought I wanted to go to law school and, um, but, uh, you know, here I was at Brigham Young university and I was, I was in Provo and the Provo city league rest, you know, youth wrestling league. And, you know, I wrestled in high school. And so I got to interact with these, with these young people and man, I, I just really enjoyed teaching them. And it was something that I was passionate about too and had fun. And my coaches had such a positive experience in my life. And so that was fun. And then my favorite teacher was a history teacher. And by the way, he's all about some civics, right? <laughs> uh, he's he's actually in the general assembly here in Virginia. My You know, my high school history teacher, Kirk Cox. And so, um, That's that's neat, and then I can. I said, man, well, you know, I enjoy this. I want to do this, and I love working with youth. I've continued to do that, whether that's through being a you know a scoutmaster, a little league baseball or softball coach, um, serving on boards in the communities, in our community, Um, and so I love seeing youth have resources that help them to grow. And I found that being a principal. I can affect that in a lot of ways. And so I enjoy the one-to-one relationships, but I also enjoy, you know, affect many with different policies and resources.
0: You're a coach at heart with a bow tie.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The the, the bow tie is great because it's, uh, you know, it's formal yet whimsical, right?
0: (laughs) I love that. Uh, Danny, where can people go to either connect with you uh, as, as you know professionals in the space that would like to learn maybe what you're doing um, and how you're succeeding in your district? I'd like to connect people. Where should they go to learn more about you and your school?
1: Um, so I would I would go to our website. It's real easy if you just Google Culpeper County High School. Uh, I'm pretty sure we're the only one in the country. So <laughs> you can Google that. And uh, I'm on there. I've got my own page on there uh, on, on Twitter. I'm um, at Danny Sod. So uh, I, I would love to connect with folks and uh, and chat with them.
0: Well, it's been a treat to spend some time with you. I know how busy you are, and so to take time to chat about both your your history and in, in the profession and your perspective on some on some I think very real um, and personable topics to people all across the country is is incredibly important for people to hear from leaders like yourself, Danny. What a pleasure! Uh, we want to thank uh, Danny Soderholm. He's the high school principal at Culpeper High School in Culpeper County, Virginia. Thanks so much, Danny. Thanks, Rod. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.